Morning, Mission Hill Church family. How are you guys doing? It's wonderful to see all of y'all this morning. Uh, we are in the Gospel of John this morning. If you weren't here last week, uh, you missed out. We started off on the, our I Am series, and one of the things that we did is we made a, a note booklet for everyone. So if you brought it with you this week, you guys can pull that out. If you didn't get one last week, there are some still uh, in, the, in the lobby out there. You can get up now and go get it. I won't be offended. It's fine. Um, but we just want this, again, to be a tool that you guys use every week. You can write down notes, things that God speaks to you through the sermon series. Um, so anyways, hopefully that, that's a helpful blessing to you guys. Grab it if you don't have one. Um, try to remember it each week. If you want to grab a second one, there's grace and forgiveness for you. It's okay. But maybe not like a fourth and fifth one, all right? Um, anyways, we're going to be in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Last week, we looked at, we started off our series looking at how Jesus declares that he is the bread of life. That was the first I am statement that we looked at. And looking at, uh, we kind of looked at the historical background, too, of those statements. We went all the way back to Moses and, and God calling Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. We talked about the burning bush. And when God talks about who he is, the statement that he makes uh, to Moses is, I am who I am, all right? So that's kind of the, the historical background for Jesus's I am statement. So flash, flash forward to the, the New Testament as Jesus is, is, is speaking to crowds when he says, I am, to a Hebrew audience, they all hear that as Jesus declaring, well, you're saying that you are God, right? So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's, he's, talking, he's saying, I am God who provides and sustains you. That's what we talked about last week. And at the end of the sermon, the application question we asked is this, is Jesus enough for you? If he never does anything else except for go to the cross, conquer sin and death, resurrected on the third day, is he enough for you? All right, that was a question that I kind of left you guys with. Today, we're looking at John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20, and we're going to look at Jesus' statement where he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. All right, that's where we're going to be today. So if you are able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, he says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, you judge um, in your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke to them in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Thank you. That's God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come. That you'd say in your spirit to soften our hearts, to receive whatever you have for us this morning. God, we thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you for Jesus and his testimony, his I am statements. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be the teacher this morning, that we would receive whatever you have for us. Anything that's of me would go in, in one ear and out the other, um, and only what's from you would resonate with people's hearts and stick with them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. It was a cool California night. The ocean air had drifted inland, and I was feeling just about right. You see, my, my suit coat jacket was on. My tie was 
a little tight, but I was taking in the fresh air as I sat in my golf cart. My earpiece was in, and over the radio came in these words of a possible dirty bird in the north lot. See, I was a security guard at the Crystal Cathedral at this time, very professional-looking security guard with no weapon given to me or anything like that, but I was a security guard nonetheless. The Crystal Cathedral is this massive church campus, if you're familiar with it, Robert Schuller maybe, he was on TV, he kind of pioneered this thing in California where they had like drive-in church, where back in the day they drove in their cars, they could tune the radio on to listen to him, they could open it up. Anyways, massive campus, there's like a little museum, a school there. Thing, and they had a security team. So I was part of that security team. I worked the night shift. Me and a, a couple other guys, in particular, my, my partner, he was, his name was Johnny. He was this like 280, 300 pound Samoan guy who's massive. He had a football scholarship at one point in time. He was a terrifying dude. So it was the two of us that were out patrolling the campus every night together, making sure all the doors were locked, opening stuff up for the cleaning people. And every once in a while, we had two things that were most exciting at night. And, and let me tell you, at the night shift, you want something exciting to actually happen because it gets pretty long and boring. Two things. One was if we heard over the radio, the guy that was watching the camera would call in and he would say, we have a possible 5150 in whatever parking lot or on whatever campus. That meant that there was someone on drugs or there's a crazy person that was doing something crazy. We had a guy who brought in a dead bird with him and prophesied all the time. It was interesting, right? Very interesting job to have. Anyways, so this particular night, the second thing that we had was what we called a dirty bird. In, in the lot. And let me explain to you what would happen for that. A couple would be out at a restaurant <clears throat> or something that, that evening, and then they would kind of extend their evening, and they would drive over to the church parking lot and think that they would have a good, nice, long chat in their car. <clears throat> Which, at, at that point, when the windows began to get foggy and steam up, we knew that it was time for us to intervene. So we would drive over. So Johnny and I looked at each other. We said, all right, we're on this. We're heading over to the Dirty Bird in the north lot. We hopped on our golf carts, cruised ever quietly, you know, those things are really quiet at night. And we had no weapon, like, this, we're not supposed to be real, like, intense security, we're just, like, call the police if anything serious happens. Anyway, so we, we cruise over there, and we, we didn't have mag lights either, we just, we just got flash, we got these massive, like, spotlights, and they're two million candlelight bright spotlights. You really want to see, if you ever worked in the dark, you want to be able to see what's actually there, right? So we cruise up on both sides of this car that's parked in the north lot. Johnny takes the driver's side, I take the passenger's side. We slowly and quietly walk up beside each side of the car. The windows are all fogged up. There's some movement going on. That's about much detail as I'll give you. And Johnny looks at me, gives the nod, and boom, four million candlelight bright light is shining, exposing everything that's going on in this vehicle, exposing the darkness, the sin that's happening here. And we just see movement, and there's stuff, and everyone's freaking out, the two people in there, right? And all of a sudden, the guy like rolls down his window, is like, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, what's up, man? And Johnny's like, dude, can't be doing that here, man. Come on, get out of here. Right? And sure enough, this couple leaves the lot. Right? This happened more than once. But I tell you this this morning because I want you to know that the light, when the light shines, it exposes the darkness. All right? When the light shines, it exposes the dirty bird. It exposes the darkness. All right? So remember this illustration because this is what we're going to be looking at. When Jesus says that he is the light of the world, his desire, his heart is to expose the darkness that is there. All right, before we unpack that, though, we need to look at the historical context of what is going on. 
Right, when we look at Jesus' I am statements, this statement in particular, I am the light of the world, when we understand the historical context, where Jesus is, when it's happening, it carries a lot more weight than some of the other statements. It's probably the most significant in terms of historical background and understanding the weight of the statement that's going on. So first, where is Jesus? He's at the temple specifically. He's around the treasury. It tells us in verse 20, sometimes this area is called the court of women. It's a very busy area. People are coming and going. People are welcome to kind of come and go here. And so it's very busy. The time of year, if we look at the text, from the previous chapter, tells us that they are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, or sometimes that's called the Feast of Booths, all right? Now, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of the Tabernacle, is for the Jews to celebrate them being delivered out of Egypt. They're celebrating God delivering them from slavery from the Egyptians, all right? So if if you're not familiar with that story, you can can turn back to Numbers 9, Exodus 13, and, and you'll see specifically kind of how God brings them out. Remember last week we talked about God calling uh, Moses from the burning bush to lead Israel out of Egypt. Well, if you kind of follow along the progress of that story, God sends the plagues, he delivers people out of Egypt, and finally Pharaoh relents, lets the people go, and as they're leaving, they're stuck between the sea and Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh changes his mind, tries to go kill them all. They're stuck in this spot, and God sends a pillar of fire and a cloud to guide them and to protect them. And so we see that in, in these texts, Nexus 13, Numbers 9, that God, he guides his people by day with a cloud and by, no, and by night a pillar of fire. And so specifically at this time, they're celebrating coming out of, of Egypt and out of slavery, but at nighttime, they're celebrating the pillar of fire that protected them and guided them from freedom, all right? So this celebration for the Feast of Tabernacles at this time in this particular area of the temple was a, was a big deal. Right? They had these, these 75-foot candelabras made of gold that were, just, that were built. So imagine 75-foot candelabras. That's a serious candelabra, all right? But just think about it. Pure gold built up on the sides, and it, it's filled with, uh, let's see, 65 liters of oil. They use. So imagine 33, like, two-liter gallons of, of soda. That, that's how much liquid, that's how much oil they're pouring into these candelabras. And at night, they light them up. <laughs> You have this massive fire, a major illumination. You guys remember this before electricity, this before this. So this is a massive fire for them going on. It's lighting up the whole city, like according to historians. It's huge. Not only that, but as they celebrate this, this uh, festival, people are carrying around torches and they're dancing, right? This isn't like a somber, like heavy celebration. This is like we are partying because God saved us and delivered us out of slavery, out of Egypt. This is a big celebration. Like, it's big time, all right, when it comes to this celebration. So you have people that in this, in this where Jesus is at, in this moment, you have this massive fire going on, this light at nighttime. You have all these people dancing around with their torches, singing songs, and celebrating God's faithfulness. And in the midst of all of this massive party, Jesus stands up and is like, I am the light of the world. All of this that you're celebrating, that's me. I am the light of the world. A little bit awkward, probably. If if I'm going to be honest with you guys, like most people are sitting there like, what? No, we're celebrating God delivering us out of Egypt. And he's like, yeah, I am the light of the world. That's because that's, I am who you are celebrating. That's the context in which Jesus 
makes his I am statement. Carries a lot more weight, right? When we understand what's, what's going on, Jesus declares that I am the light of the world. Again, with the I am statement, he's declaring I am God. And at the same time, the light of the world, whoever believes in me will have the light of life. He's, he's saying, I guide and lead. I expose the darkness. I protect you from the darkness. That's, that's what you're celebrating here is who I am. All right, so that's, that's the setting that we find ourselves in. So in verse 12, Jesus declares, <clears throat> I am the God who saves and guides you. I am this, this fire that, that you're excited about and celebrating God's uh, deliverance and for you. I am the one who guided you out of Egypt. It's, it's me. Don't you recognize that I'm who, who delivered you from the Egyptians? I am what you are celebrating. Right, this is a very powerful statement. Imagine this party. Everyone gets, you know, Jesus gets up and says, this is I am who you're celebrating. In verse 13 then, as he says this, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they, they hear Jesus say this and they're like, no, you can't, you can't say that about yourself. You, you, you can't testify about yourself alone. You need more than one witness according to the law. You guys remember back to our Leviticus series? You need two or possibly three witnesses to actually declare that something is true. And so what the, the Pharisees are saying is, even according to the law that God gave us, you don't have enough people to testify that you are the light of the world, that you are God. And Jesus then responds, listen, hey, I, I know who I am, and I know who my Father is. Not only do I testify about myself, but my Father testifies about me. Two witnesses is his point. I am who I am. I am God. I am what you are celebrating. Jesus is declaring himself to be God. And so the Pharisees, this, this makes them incredibly angry. And in verse 14, Jesus tells them, listen, I know who I am. I know that, that who my father is. I know where I come from, where I'm going. It's almost like Jesus is saying, scholars, people who know the law, who are, who are supposed to know who God is, I'm standing here in front of you and you don't recognize me for who I actually am. This, this is a, Pharisees are, are troubled by this. They can't really wrap their minds around this. But, but even more, verse 15, Jesus comes and he, and he says, and I judge no one. Even, I, even if I did judge people, it would be okay, but I want you to know that I'm not, I'm not here to judge anyone. You guys judge a bunch of people, but I'm here to judge no one. Which is like, well, hold on, how do we deal with that? Because if we were to read farther along in the chapter, in verse 26, Jesus says, I have much to judge. So it's like, wait, hold on, is there a contradiction here or not? I want to be faithful. I know we're not reading that, but I, if you guys did read that, I want to be faithful to address that, right? So when we understand Jesus, we need to understand in the context who he is. He came, and he came not to judge, right? If we look at John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son into the world. Whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17, right? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So what is, is Jesus meant to, to judge when he's here, or is he, is he not meant to judge? And, and even, even if you look at context, if you, looked, if you were to start in, in, in chapter 8, verses 1, and read through 11, you would see this incredible story where the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they have this woman who's caught in adultery. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what that looked like. They just grabbed a dirty bird and brought him over to before Jesus. I'm not sure what, what was going on here, okay? But they bring this woman who's obviously ashamed, uncomfortable, right? And, and Jesus said, and they say, you know, the penalty for committing adultery here is that you would stone this woman. She, penalty is death, according to the law. And Jesus says, whoever's without sin can cast the first stone. And then he bends down and begins to write stuff in the ground. And we don't know what he wrote, right? We're not exactly sure what he wrote. But as he writes, every single one of them start to walk away. And then look at 
Again, your Bible is verse 10. He says, Jesus stood up and said to, the, said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Jesus doesn't condemn this, this woman who the world would condemn and, and judge. And Jesus sits there, doesn't throw a stone. He picks up no stone and says, I, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He calls her to repentance. You see, Jesus came not, not to judge, but judge or condemn the world. He came to save the world. He will come again in his second coming, and there will be final judgment then. That, and that should concern us. It should terrify us to some extent if we continue in our rebellion against God. But for now, as Jesus came, he came to love and condemn. I mean, think about this for a second. It's Jesus, he eats with sinners. He doesn't condemn them. He eats with people that according to the law should be, be killed. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. And as he spends time with them, he loves them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't judge them. He's not out to get them. His heart is not to condemn, but to heal. That's his primary concern about coming here. Remember what we looked at last week in verse 40 from our summer. If you were here, Jesus, God's, the Father's heart was that anyone who looked upon Jesus would be saved. John 3, 16 and 17, not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Think about this. Jesus' primary purpose is to come and save sinners, to heal people. And some of us may be thinking, okay, well, wait a second though. Like, isn't God super angry with us when, when we sin and I'm, just for a second, you can, go, you can flip back there if you want. Genesis chapter 3, the fall. We've gone back we went there last week too, but think about back to the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God. There's one thing they can't do. They can't partake of the fruit, right? And they do it. They rebel against God. They eat this fruit. They sin. They rebel against God. And what do they go do? They go hide, <clears throat> right? They're ashamed and afraid. And what does God do? Well, I'm going to burn the whole thing down now. Let's start, so let's set the Garden of Eden on fire. I'm tearing it apart like, whoa, I'm mad. Is that what God does? You guys know the story. We all know the story. If you've been in church for a minute, if you aren't familiar with the story, let me tell you. God walks in the garden. He pursues relationship with Adam and Eve. He says, where are you? He provides for them. He lets them know there's, there's consequence for your sin, and it grieves him that, that because of their sin, it will lead to death. But he's not this rage monster that's out to destroy them and torch everything and burn the garden down. From the very beginning, from the very first sin, God's response is mercy and grace. He pursues relationship. He's not just angry. And my question then is, why do we tend to think, like how many of us tend to think, if we're honest, when, when we sin, we tend to think of God as he's just angry with us. I don't know how many of you guys watch uh, Dude Perfect on YouTube or if you're familiar with them. Probably your kids are. If, if you aren't, I'd encourage a great show to watch. Anyways, these guys, they make a bunch of trick shots and they do some skits. And they have one character. His name is the Rage Monster. Kids in here, you guys know what I'm talking about? My kids know. Anyways. So the Rage Monster, anytime he doesn't get his way or anyone rebels against him, he like loses his mind and like flips desks and like throws a Christmas tree out the window. Like he acts like so angry when ever there's like any rebellion against him. All right, it's a hilarious little character, but I think it's a window into our hearts. Why do we think God is so angry? Why do we think that he's raging against us when we sin or rebel against him? 
I think if we're honest with ourselves for a second, it's because that's our default response. When people rebel or disrespect or hurt us, our immediate response is to be angry, to, to lash out at them, right? And when someone rebels against us or disrespects us, whether it's your kids or your coworker or your spouse or your friend, what is, how dare you? Like that's, that's our immediate response. How, who do you think you are? How dare you? What did you say to me? Like those are the kind of responses that we default to. And if, if I'm honest, I just think, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we project a lot of that onto God because that's not the Father from the beginning. It's not Jesus. It's not who we see he is to be in the New Testament. It's certainly not who the Holy Spirit seems to be. I think some of us in here, we've been running from God for a long time. Like, the light has come into the world and, and shone on our hearts and exposed some darkness. And we're afraid to actually deal with what's there because we're afraid that God is this angry monster who just wants to crush us because we've rebelled against him. And we're afraid. That's not who Jesus is. This is Jesus is the light of the world that illuminates, that shines a light on sin and darkness in our hearts because he knows that that sin and, and sin will lead to death. It will destroy us. It will ruin our relationships. He looks at you, shines a light, and says this. He exposes the darkness and says this will lead to death. Choose life. Choose repentance. Turn and, and, and run from that. Flee from that which will lead to death and choose which will be light. I mean, this is what Jesus does. I mean, this is what God does with his people with the pillar of fire. He leads them away from, from danger. He guides them by night. In the, in the night, he exposes any kind of darkness and leads them away from Egypt, delivering them and saving them. He is still the light of the world, leading, delivering, shining a light on things that will lead to death in our lives. For some of us that have been in church for a minute, you guys know that you've heard Jesus is the light of the world. You grew up saying, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? <clears throat> you know that. But it's like suddenly when the light of the world comes and it exposes like the sin or the darkness in our hearts, we don't, we don't really want to deal with it. And I think for some of us, it's just because we know that when the light shines on that area of our life, that means we're going to have to change somehow. And we don't want to change. Or maybe it's that we're afraid, we're ashamed that we've actually walked in darkness in this area. Maybe it's we're afraid that we do have a rage monster as a father who's just out to crush us as soon as we walk in sin or make a mistake. And I just tell you, I think, I think I would plead with you to look at what the text says. Look at God's heart for us even when we walk in sin. Grace upon grace upon mercy upon mercy. I think this is a more, if, if you would, just follow with me. This is a more realistic understanding of how God sees us in our sin. How many of you guys, <clears throat> how many people, dog owners or had a dog growing up? Raise a show of hands. A couple of you. All right, good. So if you've been around dogs at all, you know a couple things that are disgusting about them. <clears throat> I own a dog. Love dogs, but okay, it's true. A dog, you ever seen your dog vomit? All right, when a dog pukes, what does it do? It goes back over to its vomit. It starts and you and what, when you see that, you're like, oh gosh, no, stop, don't do that. It's disgusting. Like I, my dog's name is Penny. I'm like, Penny, get away from that. It's gross. Like don't do that. Or like when they were a puppy, did you have your dog when they were a puppy? You take them outside, right? They go do their business, and then like if you weren't paying attention to them, pretty soon 
that little puppy's got a turd in its mouth. And it's just chewing on it. It's so gross, right? What, what is your heart when you see that? You're like, oh, no, stop. Don't do that. That's gross. Like, get it out of your mouth, right? You Sometimes you get your hand in there. You're prying out this turd. Oh, it's gross, right? Like, I, I, that's God's heart. I, I think that's God's heart for a sin. He's like, no, stop. Don't do that. That is good. Not only to probe it, you're going to get, that's going to kill you, right? How many of you guys, when your dog, like, ate its vomit or ate it like a turd, were like, how dare you? And you just kicked your dog. None of you guys did that. Well, I hope none of you guys, if we did, we'll talk later. But none of you guys, hopefully none of you guys did that, right? But for some reason, we think that like when we sin, when we do something that's going to lead to death, that's God's response to us. And that's just not, that's not who the text, that's not who Jesus is. And Jesus says, if you see the Father, you've seen me. And I don't see Jesus punting any puppies. Like, that's just not who he is. And so if I, I would just plead with you to have this understanding of God's heart for you. He's for you. He loves you. His heart is to rescue, redeem, to, to save you because sin will lead to death. I'm not downplaying sin in any way. Understand, it will lead to death and destruction in your life. But God's heart is to save you from that death and destruction. So the question for us is, guys, when, when the light shines on the sin in our heart, when it shines on the darkness, right? When Johnny and I expose the dirty bird, like, what, how are we going to respond? Are we going to be like that guy who rolls down the window and pretends like nothing's happening? Oh, what's up? <laughs> you know what's up, right? Is that going to be us, or are we going to confess and say, yeah, I, there's, there, this is going to lead to death and destruction? And let me help you, like, my heart is to help you process through this. How will you respond? Because I think there's, there's different ways that we hear God's voice. We hear our Father's voice. <clears throat> Remember, Romans 8. God doesn't, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I think sometimes, man, we, we think we hear the Lord's voice, but we hear ourselves in our own legalism. Right? So, so just follow me here. Maybe if you're, if you're struggling with bitterness, how do you hear God's voice? Like, if you're just bitter and you cannot let it go, what is, what is the voice that's calling you to repentance? Does it sound like this? How dare you? I can't believe you can't let bitterness go. Are you serious? You know what I did for you on the cross? You know how much I forgave you and you can't forgive your brother or sister? Bitterness? Are you kidding me? Is that the voice you hear? Is that how you hear God? Or, or do you hear God this way? Joel, if you do not let this bitterness go, it will destroy your heart. It'll ruin your current relationships. It'll ruin your future relationships. It'll ruin you as a father, as a husband. It leads to death and destruction. And that is not my heart for you. I've taught you how to forgive. Walk in forgiveness. Right? You see the difference there? One is, one is my own sinful nature projected onto God versus, man, this is what I really see from the text, God's heart. Versus people, what about when it comes to lust? You've been battling with, with lust. Do you hear the voice of God? Man, you lose. Get your hormones under control. What is wrong with you, you unfaithful cheater? I can't believe it, you loser. Like, is that God's voice that you hear? That's not God's voice. Or does it sound like this? And Joel, if you don't deal with this in your heart, it'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your relationships. You objectify your brothers and sisters. That's not who I made you to be. That's not my heart. Walk away from this that leads to death and destruction. Or it will kill your marriage, your family, your friendships. It comes to addiction, 
What do you hear? Whether it's food, substance, entertainment, whatever addiction maybe you're struggling with. What do you hear? Try harder. Stop it. Do better. What's wrong with you, you failure? Is that the voice that you hear in your head? Or do you hear the voice of your father saying, I'm the bread of life. This will not sustain you or satisfy you. It won't heal you, deliver you. You can try to numb the pain, but until you really bring it to me, it's not going to get dealt with. This will lead to death and destruction in your heart. Walk away. Choose life. What voice do you hear? Maybe it's anger. Maybe you struggle with anger. You're just angry all the time, and you don't even know why, but you are angry all the time. And the voice that you hear from God is more anger. Can't believe it. Angry all the time, screaming at your kids, screaming at your wife. What's wrong with you? Why are you so angry all the time? Is that what God sounds like to you? Or does he say, this isn't who I created you to be? What's going on in your heart, Joel? Why is it that you carry around this anger all the time? Give it to me. This isn't who I am, and you bear my image. This isn't who I created you to be. How do you hear the voice of God when the light exposes the sin? I think a lot of times we hear the first voice and we run and hide and we don't want to, we don't want to change because we're afraid that God is just going to crush us. His heart is to save us. He's been saving people since bringing Israel out of Egypt to Jesus. Now that is his heart. That is his default, not anger. In fact, he clearly says he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. How do you hear God's voice? Because as he describes himself, I am the light of the world, it's not to burn us up, it's to expose the darkness so that it would lead us to life. Hear God's heart for you this morning. And so maybe you're struggling with, with some of this stuff and maybe you've just, you've had the wrong idea and you've heard the wrong voice and I would just urge you this morning to pray with me here in a second that you would really hear not your projected voice onto God or maybe you know, your parents' projected voice onto God, but you would really hear God for who he is in his word, who he declares himself to be, gracious, merciful, not exposing the light so we can burn you up, but exposing, not exposing the darkness to burn you up, but exposing the darkness so that you would walk away from death and you would choose life. Would you pray with me this morning? Worship team, you guys can come up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you that you would come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that we would hear your true voice in areas where we have been wrong about who we thought you were, Lord. As we've been learning to love you and, and truly understand who you are, God, I pray in our hearts, Holy Spirit, you would help us understand who you declare yourself to be. You aren't angry at us all the time. You aren't waiting to just punish us all the time. You do not want us to choose death. You want us to choose life. Help us to realize you are the light of the world that exposes the darkness, the sin in our hearts. And as we see that revealed, God, I pray that our heart would be to repent, to confess and repent so that we would walk on paths that lead to life, not to death. Help us understand your true heart for us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.